Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, church. Our Bible reading is from Matthew 7, 15 to 23. At the end of the reading, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. Please do respond by saying thanks be to God. Matthew 7, 15 to 23. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree does not bear good fruit, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Nice to see us all. And again, special welcome to those who are new. Uh, or if you've, been, if you've not been with us for a while, it's nice to see you once again. Okay, my name is Femi, and um, we've been doing a series since the uh, middle of January. And today's the penultimate uh, message in that series. It's called the... Um, What's it called? Citizens of the Kingdom. <laughs> yeah, it's been very long. Citizens of the Kingdom. I promise you I, I've been preaching on it. It's, uh, <laughs> Citizens of the Kingdom. And it is, we're, we're saying that Jesus says he came to bring a kingdom. Now, if you want to understand a bit about that kingdom, it's good to identify who the citizens of that kingdom are. And you see, in Jesus' time, in the early part of his ministry, he preached about the kingdom, if we read in Matthew 4. And then he demonstrated the power of that kingdom. But to explain a lot more about the kingdom and the citizens of the kingdom, he decided to teach. And so his teaching, which is now been called the Sermon on the Mount, was from Matthew 5 to 7. And so we kind of theme this around having an international passport, but now it's a passport of the kingdom. And on each of the pages of that passport, you will find different characteristics of the people of that kingdom. So there were 14. And so in our passport, we started, page one was that we understood that they are contrite citizens. Page two, persecuted citizens. Three, missional citizens. Four, righteous citizens. Five, broken citizens. Six, restorative citizens. Seven, wealthy citizens. Eight, prayerful citizens. Nine, confident citizens. Ten, humble citizens. Eleven, persistent citizens. Twelve, destined citizens. 
And today, we find that they are discerning citizens. Now, please don't assume that you understand everything about what he says just by thinking of one word. Oh, I know what it means if he says they are wealthy citizens. <laughs> All right, so are you serious? <laughs> Am I a citizen? Because I don't feel very wealthy. So I'd encourage you to go and listen to, I'd encourage you to go and listen to, get a sermon podcast on SoundCloud, and you can find um, all of these messages here. So let me start by saying this. Well, all of us that are seated here today, people have influenced us in our lives, in one way or the other, where we are. Can you, do, can you do something for me? Can you close your eyes? Close your eyes. Everyone. I don't know if you are not. Don't worry. This is not, I'm not trying to hypnotize you or anything. Although that would be very good if I could hypnotize all of you. <laughs> all right, but just think of the top maybe five, six people that have influenced you in your life. Maybe your career, maybe character-wise. Some of them may still be influencing you now. Can you think of those people? Now you can open your eyes. When you thought of those people, you probably didn't think that they influenced you for ill, right? You probably thought of people that influenced you for good, that at certain points, some of them was for a sustained period of time. Some of them, actually, you, would not, you, you probably would remember that it was for a very short period of time, but the impact that they had on your life was significant. You see, the reason why we thought about them and we thought positively, because I'm sure none of us thought about somebody that impacted us negatively. Why do we think of these people positively? Well, I'll tell you why. It's because when I said think about where you are in your life, now you thought about the good things in your life. You thought about the positive destination that you've reached, and these people were the influencers or the guides that brought you towards that destination or towards that place. Which is why many times when we're advising people, we say be careful about the guides or the people that influence you. Why? Because they can either influence you to a good place or to a bad place. In other words, discerning the right guides in life and to life is extremely important. We're at the point in the Sermon on the Mount now where Jesus is making his conclusions. From chapter, from chapter 7, verse 13 to the end, 27. He's preached, the main message is from 5, verse 17 to 5, verse, uh, 7, verse uh, 11, or 5, 18 to 7, 11. He gave us an introduction in the uh, 5, 1 to, to about 16. So now he's coming to the end. Last week, he showed us how we should discern the right uh, path to eternal life. We should discern the right path to eternal life. And this week, and it's really going to be, I have to prepare you, he's going to be very hard. Because he's going to say, look, discerning the right path to eternal life also is predicated on discerning the right guides to eternal life. And because Jesus knows that there are many wrong guides that will not take you to eternal life, he calls them false prophets. In trying to help us discern, he talks very much about these false prophets. How do we recognize them? Because recognizing them is going to show that you are discerning. 
That's why citizens of the kingdom are discerning citizens. So if you want to just hear what Jesus has to say about this, we can look at it in three points today. Recognizing false prophets, their description. Recognizing false prophets, their actions. And recognizing false prophets, their destination. I must warn you again, it's not a very, very happy-go-filled sermon. But if it's the truth, it is all good for us. So let's start. Their description. Look at um, verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. Start. Now, if any of us saw someone crossing the road, as often as when I was growing up, there was a way you trained people to cross the road. They said, look right. No, look left. My God, I hope I won't be hit. Too. <laughs> look left. Look right. And look left again, right? So nowadays, you know, people don't care about any kind of advice you're giving or bringing. So you see this person that jumps on the road, and he, he doesn't even look left. He looks right. He doesn't even look right, left, and right. He just looks right. So he doesn't know what's coming on the left, because cars are coming this way. And as the person goes into the road, and you see a car coming, you are a bystander. You see a car coming, and he's about to enter. What are you going to say? Watch out! And you're probably going to yell. The watch out that you say is an emphatic warning about imminent danger. Watch out. And Jesus begins this section with that same emphatic warning. Watch out. And the danger here is not regarding oncoming vehicle that you cannot see, but it is regarding false prophets. Now, when he says that, the people, the Jewish people at that time kind of understood. If you read the Old Testament, the, especially the law, the first five books, in Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 18, they were consistently warned about false prophets. If somebody gives a prediction, doesn't come to pass, and he predicts in the name of the Lord, he's a false prophet. If somebody comes and what leads you towards idols, he's a false prophet. So they understood that they had to look out for false prophets. So let me tell you, during that time, any Jew... If you got up and said, in the name of the Lord, there's another God for you to worship, they'll stone you. Any Jew. Pharisees, Sadducees, whoever. And if you said this is going to happen, they'll say, all right, put time clock. When is it going to happen? And they wait for you. If it doesn't happen at that time, they'll stone you as well. So you probably thought, well, they have all they need to discern false prophets. And Jesus says, no, <laughs> even though you had that, watch out. Because he says, and he gives a very curious picture to describe these false prophets. What does he say in verse 15? They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. Very curious. In fact, in this description, you almost see like a double threat there. What do I mean by that? They pose two dangers. One, they are wolves. Wolves are known to be harmful. How many of us have seen a wolf live, not on TV, a wolf? Right? Before you start thinking, I'm not talking about Wolverine, no. I mean like real wolf. How many? Only yet when they have seen. Wow. How many of us want to see a wolf in our lives? I trust you, Niger people, like, like, <laughs> right? But wolves, there's a reason why none of you raise up your hands, because wolves are known to be harmful. They are known to be destructive. That's what they 
prophets are. They, it says they are destructive. They are wolves. Notice, inwardly, they are, that's who they are. They are ferocious wolves. Not just wolves, ferocious wolves. That's what they are. Well, you think, okay, that's fine. I, I understand that, so I'm not going to go towards them. But they are in sheep's clothing. That's the second thing. Now, a sheep, how many of us have seen sheep before? Right, you see sheep. Did you run when you saw a sheep? Right? Just stupid animals that are just there, but they're harmless. That's the basic thing. We don't run away from them. And this is what Jesus is saying. This is what they are. They are wolves, but they are dressed up as sheep. In other words, if you spotted them, you won't immediately know who they are. Because think about it. None of us, if we saw a wolf, if we saw a wolf afar off now, what will you do? You will run, isn't it? So if you see somebody going towards a wolf, if you see somebody moving towards a wolf, what would you think? I probably think that the person has lost his mind. Let's say it's somebody that is in his perfect mind. What would you think? The only reason anyone would go towards a ferocious wolf is unless they thought it was something other than a wolf. Maybe a sheep. You know, um, journalists, I, I, I wish, one of the, I've, one of the uh, things I've admired the most, uh, the, the career that I've admired most growing up was journalists. I always felt I wanted my son to be a journalist or one of my children to be a journalist. Um, but you have to say there is a difference between, um, sorry to say, I don't know how else to put it, a black and white journalist. Do you remember those black and uh, white journalists like CNN, uh, you know, they'll be reporting, they hear there's a genocide in Rwanda, they hear that there's war in Syria. And you see them, well, this thing that is going on here, and the war is actually breaking out, and boom! And they're there, and they're like, as you can hear from there, so, so, you know? And you yell, why are you there? <laughs> what on countries? Whether it was in the, 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 the war in the Balkans in, uh, in the mid-90s, yes, the Rwandan genocide, now the Syrian crisis, all of that. Now let me ask you something. In all of those places, tell me one African journalist you have seen there. Think. Reporting. An African, I didn't say black American. Uh, uh, that's Kenyan guy, and he's now, he's, he's, I think he's gone a little bit local. Is he not the one that was talking about Dangote's wedding? Uh, you see what happens. Tommy is not, he's not Niger. Tommy is Britico. He is a British Nigerian. So let's, please, I didn't, I didn't ask for your opinions. Let me establish my point. For you guys, it reminds me of when Paul says that uh, God did not tell me to preach. Uh, God did not send me to baptize. I thank God I didn't baptize any of you, except uh, this guy and that one. And I think the people of this household. But anyway, true black African journalists don't go towards danger. Oh, okay, let me even throw out. The journalists didn't work. I remember there was a time a couple of years ago I was driving, uh, my sister and I, we were um, going towards, um, what's the name of this road? Uh, Ama, no, Aman, Murtala Mohammed Way in Ebu Temetanya, going towards Oingo. And we were going. And as we just saw, we saw people coming, people coming, running. So first thing I did, put the car in reverse. 
I started to reverse, reverse, reverse. I saw one guy come reverse into a side street. Started, so I now stopped the guy. Guy, what's up? What's happening? He said, I, I don't know. <laughs> I said, so why are you running? He said, because people are all running. Whereas, when you are reading your, uh, those books when you are growing up, you hear that they saw that there was a volcano that was erupting. Or even, as you see the news nowadays, right? Tornado in America is going on, blah, blah, a hurricane. And rather than see people going away, because this hurricane is there, tornado, so you should go this way. They were like, we want to go and, we want to go and find out what's happening inside there. So if you saw a black person, African person, going towards a tornado, what are you going to say? It's either it's not really all right, or he doesn't know what a tornado is. <laughs> if you see somebody going towards a ferocious wolf, it's either the person is not all right, or he doesn't actually know that that is a ferocious wolf. He is dressed in sheep clothing, and Jesus says, watch out. He feels the need not to give a kind of you know, so after, I don't think you should go there. He says, watch out. Because you don't know that truly what they are is that they are wolves. They may look like sheep, but they are wolves. We don't always spot them. That's why Paul says, and no wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants, that Satan's servants, masquerade as servants of Righteousness, watch out. Now, some people want to be pedantic and say, well, you know what? Jesus said that it is false prophets. It's just false prophets. So I know one guy, if you want to know about your future, you know, you have to bring a couple of things, pay him some money, but bring some calabash with some grass and all that. Ah, false prophets, we shouldn't. So it's just false prophets. No, it's using false prophets. It's generic of Christian leaders. So if you read in, it is, it, if you read in uh, 2 Corinthians 11 verse 13, for such people are false apostles, deceitful workers masquerading as apostles of Christ. Whether it's false prophets, it's false apostles, it's also false teachers, 2 Peter 2.1. But there were false prophets among the people in the Old Testament just as there will be False teachers among you. It's also false pastors. Acts 20, 28 to 29. Keep watch over yourselves and the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds or pastors of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Watch out. Just think about how chilling that, that, that Acts 20 I just read with Paul. You see, what's so heartbreaking and amazing is that the wolves will be people that Christians trust. And they are vulnerable to them because they have given them their trust. That's why he the apostles constantly want that you should watch out. Verse 30 then says, even from your own number, from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on guard. Sometimes we get into the, who am I to judge? 
Let me just leave them to God. I just follow God. It's just me and God. If that was the case, then why would Paul say this? So be on guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning you. Each of you, night and day, with tears. Have they been extinguished in our time? Do we just enter this whole, well, you know, who knows? Who knows who is saying the truth? Who it's just me and God. There's no such thing like that. A huge amount of the New Testament is given towards this particular topic. Jesus said, watch out. Paul said, watch out. Guys, watch out. Oh, it's okay. I get there are dangers. They're around. All right, fine. Problem is, how can I recognize them? Well, I'm glad you asked. That's why we have a second point. Second point. Their actions. Their actions. There's a question that's often come to me. And, in fact, more recent times, and people often talk, maybe you're debating, and it's on this issue. And sometimes you see people that are quite obviously rogues and charlatans, right? They are quite obviously fleecing the, the, the sheep. And sometimes some of my friends would ask, and even Yemi, we've had this discussion, is do these people actually know what they're doing? That is, do these people actually know that they are rogues, that they're actually twisting? Do these people, you know, sit down, plan, and say, how are we going to deceive these guys? I know there is a God, but I'm actually, and I know there is the truth, but I'm actually going to go with falsehood because it, it benefits me. I say maybe there are some people there, but I actually think they don't. I actually believe that many of them believe and have made themselves believe that they are serving in God's interest. Why do I say that? Look at verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the on, the, only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform any, many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. What do you want to on the last day, these guys would think they could enter the kingdom of heaven. Three times they said, we did this in our own name, in your name. They feel that when it comes to eternity, of course, all of these things that we're doing is in your name. Like this example, for instance, please pray that. Listen to this. Write this down. You get to heaven and you don't find me there. You have gone to hell. That's not heaven. Because everything that should be done for a man to secure his life in eternity, I've done it. I've done it. I've, I've done it. I've done it. So now, understand. In case you don't understand, he has done it. <laughs> Four times. I actually believe that he believes it. I remember after watching the video, I said, God, if both me and this guy die right at this moment, if I wake up and I see this guy, I will say, Mugbe. <laughs> <laughs> Do 
You know, there's a difference about the assurance. There's a difference between the assurance of salvation. Anybody who is assured that they are saved and that they will be with Christ in heaven if they die, they are assured based on what Christ has done, not on what you have done. But he believes it. He's so confident that he can say that if you go there and you don't see him there, then you have the wrong place. Now, let me say this. If people can fool themselves, why do you think they cannot fool you? Watch out. And notice what these guys say here. They mention three things. We prophesied, we exorcised, and we performed miracles. In your name. In other words, be careful how you judge a wolf simply based on the demonstrations of power that they have. Be very careful. Unfortunately, today, that is the main test people use to test whether somebody is authentic or not. The speaking gift, the size of the church. Now, again, don't get me wrong. Peter preached, 3,000 people converted, 5,000 people converted. So it doesn't necessarily mean that somebody has a large church and the person is false. But be careful how you validate someone because this is how he's validating himself. I prophesied, I cast out demons, and I perform miracles. Therefore, I must, be en- I must enter. And Jesus is saying, absolutely not. So he gives us two ways that we can use to test. If you say, how can I identify them? There are two ways. There is watch out for doctrine, the test of orthodoxy. Watch out for fruit, the test of orthopraxy. Watch out for doctrine and watch out for fruit. Now, if you remember, the context here is this Sermon on the Mount. And if you read chapter 4, it says crowds gathered around Jesus. So Jesus understands. Why? Because he was healing sick people and he was preaching. It was a fantastic message. His preaching presumably was very good. So there were crowds around him. But in the Sermon on the Mount, as he's teaching, what he's teaching He's saying, if you oppose this way of righteousness, if you oppose this, then you are false. In other words, Jesus is passing on orthodoxy. Or if you think about the writer of Jude, or Jude, the apostle that says this, I had many things I wanted to write, dear friends. Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. Now, what is this? He did not say a faith that was given to the Lord's people. Neither did he say contend for faith that the Lord's people had. He said contend for what? The faith. So this definite article that is put there is to say there is the faith. And the faith is different from that other faith, which is different from that other faith. It's not about your own truth. It is about the truth. Do you understand? Now, something else he said is very important. He said the faith, so we know there is a body of truth that he was saying, because what, what's it going to, if he tells them contend for it, contend for what they don't understand that is, you know, Yemi believes his own thing, Kemi believes his own thing, Tomoa believes his own thing. So content. No, he's talking about something that was entrusted to them. And he said that faith once and for all has been delivered. In other words, 
God is not revealing something new. We don't say we get to 2,000 and you know there was the faith of salvation, maybe. And then after that, we don't know what happened the 1,500 years of church. Okay, we know the Catholic Church came in and just spoiled everything. But God, thank God for Martin Luther. There was another revelation. What was that? Eh, justification by faith and the scripture alone. Then there was the revelation of baptism. I'm giving you some people's historical theology. This is so poor. There was the revelation for baptism in water. That's what the Baptist came up with. And then there was the revelation for, although we don't even know who are the people that were Baptist that brought that up, you know, but, but let's just, it's very nice. It's very, very succinct. Then there was the revelation for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Azusa Street. And then there was the revelation for healing. And then, as some would say, there was the revelation of the faith message, word of faith. And then there's the revelation of the kingdom, dominion message. The faith once and for all entrusted and delivered to the saints. God is not revealing anything new. If you ever read anything about the Reformation and Martin Luther, you will find out that they were not trying to take the church forward with a new revelation. They were trying to take the church forward by going backwards. The faith once and for all delivered to the saints. You know, the funny thing about this is, and this is why it is so important for us, is, uh, you know me, I just, man, it's just worship. I just like to worship. You know, eh, this church, they teach, I don't really like what they teach. I don't really like what they teach. I think it's even, there's something wrong. But when I go there, there's something about the worship that makes me, I just connect. I, I connect. And this other church, they teach the truth, but I don't connect. And so some people actually want to go to that first church where they connect, do their worship, then come to this other one where there's truth. Don't you understand? The truth is going to even affect the worship. Guys, there is no such thing as that theologian. Everybody is a theologian. I hope you know that. You say, no, 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 I don't really, I'm not into theology. Do you believe that Jesus Christ died? Yes, I do. That's theology. You have an opinion on that, it's theology. Do you think he's God? Maybe that's an opinion, that's theology. Do you think there's one God? Ah, there is one God, that is theology. You cannot do without studying theology. The question is, do you have the right one? So there's a body of faith that was delivered to the saints. And Jesus is saying this. If these people oppose the teaching that I'm giving you here, they are false prophets. But there's something else you should see. Because I'm sure that guy's website, if you go to his website, I didn't check it out, I should. That guy is one of the biggest pastors in Zimbabwe, by the way. He's a prophet, whatever, you know. At one point, 70,000 people every Sunday going to the church. If you go to his website, I'm sure you see doctrine of the Trinity, the deity of Christ, all of those things. It's very easy to go to people's website and the affirmation of faith, how we confess the Apostles' Creed, and it has absolutely no effect on their lives. In fact, if you notice, sometimes the thing about false prophets, which is even worse about false prophets, is that they either have some orthodoxy or they sound orthodox. Notice what they said to Jesus. They said on the last day they came to him and they called him what? You see, even Paul says that no one except by the Spirit can call Jesus Christ what? Lord. That is a right teaching. 
That's why even John says that you should be very careful. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone into the world. Some people think about that you should just look at a guy and he said, my spirit didn't allow. My spirit just didn't. I feel that guy is false. That's not what he's saying because verse 2, he says, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and now is already in the world. You see what he's saying? He said, for you to discern the spirit, you have to know theology. But as I said, some people will sound orthodox. They called him Lord, Lord. There is some sense in which they recognize Jesus as Lord. So they either sound orthodox or possess some orthodoxy. And that is not enough. In other words, I will tell you this, it is not always easy to spot them. Because just like the prophets are ferocious wolves in sheep's clothing, sometimes the false messages come in clothes of orthodoxy. Or the person is going to give you a heterodox message, but before he does that, he lures you in with some orthodox message. Do you see it? Or worse off, sometimes the message that is brought to you is veiled in a cloak of compassion. So, for instance, let me give you six things. It could be a teaching so zealous against poverty that says that it is a sin to be poor. Or one hyper-interested in people giving or generosity, that then says you won't go to heaven without tithing. Or an uninformed need to protect God's biblical image that says we can correct errors in the Bible through looking at Jesus. Or in order to combat legalism, you end up saying there is a higher level of grace that makes up for willful premeditated adultery. Even Jude says that one. Jude says there are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign Lord. Or in order to inspire you with deep revelation, end up saying God has no power outside of you. All of these things I've just said now are things that are existing right now in this city. God has no power outside of you. Isn't that what that's written there? This was taken from a church's Instagram, whatever. I... We removed the, I don't want to expose the guilty. If you want to know the name of the person after, you can come and meet me. What will make somebody say this? God has no power outside of you. And you can see exactly what happens. There's a build-up to it. There's a build-up to show you how powerful you are. And then the person then drops it. Boom! God has no power outside of you. And what's the next response? Mmm. Because some people preach and live for that sound. This is absolutely serious. I like one other image I saw and says, because of this, Jesus has focused so much on the eternal in the Sermon on the Mount, but because people have itching ears, what do you see? A long queue, Malachi 3 verse 10. 
And everyone is going. You can be rich. For John 3.16, the table, the podium there is just what? Empty. This is very serious. Orthodoxy. And by orthodoxy, I mean the, tr the truth once and forever delivered to the saints. I know when we hear orthodox, we always think of a, bad, uh, a dead church that has a cathedral. It's only good for marriage and for burials. But, you know... We were born there, we come out, we do all the nice jamboree and then go back where we want to get married. It's not that. Orthodoxy means that a truth that something we've all come to um, agree is as historical truth so that we can use it as a test to know what is false and what is true. Orthodoxy is important. But as I've shown you, it's not always easy to spot. And that's why Jesus gives us a second way. He says, watch out for fruit. Verse 16 and verse 20. By their fruit, you will recognize them. Verse 20. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. We've got back into that literary device that I, I've spoken about. You've seen in, the, in this Sermon on the Mount, right? There is, he says the same thing to bookend something. So what is inside, what is in between the, state, the two um, similar statements is really explaining that statement. So he gives us this illustration. In verses 17 to 19, it says, Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. You see, in, in, the Jewish, in, those, in those times, every Israelite and every Jew would have known this. You see, buckthorn had little blackberries that could be mistaken for grapes. And from a distance, a, thistle, a particular thistle's flower could also be mistaken for a fig. So how would you know that this blackberry, for certain, that this blackberry was not a grape? How would you know that this flower was not a fig? He said that the proof of the pudding is what, in. By the time you ate the thing, you will know it's not a grape. I like this analogy. Have you, ever, have you seen this uh, video of this small child? There's a child, a baby. You know, when a parent, sometimes the best way to teach all these children that think they are smart, like two-year-old, one-year-old, the best way to teach them, like I did for Tofumi when he wanted to, Ketu, Ketu, you want to go, you, want, you like Ketu, Labi? Ketu, okay, it's boiling, give him. He thought the Ketu hot. He never went back. So this child wants to eat apple, apple, apple. The most is not apple, is yeah, what's it? Give me apple. It's so apple that I give me apple. You know, it's not apple. Give me. Okay. Take. Eat. And he started trying eating it. It was an onion. <laughs> but this child, you know, like, you know that you don't want, you have to commit. This, this path, I wanted this thing. So the video, you'll be seeing the child eating it. <laughs> it's just crying. <laughs> Something tells me that even though it was a two-year-old, he knew this was not an apple. <laughs> it wasn't. And in the same way, you will know it is not a grape when you've eaten. You will know that it is not um, a, a fig when you've eaten it. You see, false prophets may seem genuine, but in the passage of time, because don't forget, fruit does not spring up immediately. When he says, by their fruit, you will know them, fruit does not spring up immediately. So in the passage of time, he will be exposed. You see, because notice, 
he's warning us about a false, false prophet in the context of saying, this is the path to life, this is the path to destruction. The false prophet does not like the narrow way. He does not advocate the narrow way. Do you expect him to leave it? And many times in our days, maybe sometimes we don't see it. Sometimes we are moved by, but I saw this person do this. But what about this other one? We ignore it. So let me give you another six. Because Jesus wants us to look well, well. So you may say, they may be philanthropic, but are they arrogant? They may have healed, but are they sexually self-controlled? They may have prophesied, but are they overcome with intense anger? They may have done stuff for the society, but are they honest in private? They may be visionaries, but are they lost in after money? They may perform miracles, but are they lost in after power? You see, our church leaders have had many scandals. Look, if you want to see scandal, go to the Nigerian church. Forget the, polit the political world. The Nigerian church, there have been so many scandals, but our leaders have been very good in allowing us to ignore it. And we too, we've, co we've connived with them. They use three methods. One is the, they play the victim card. All of a sudden, somebody was caught, he raped somebody, or he, he, for he forced her to do something, and now the guy is now crying. And crying, and everybody's just saying, yeah, they're all together, yeah. And he really touched my life. Oh. They use the victim card. Or there's a second one. This one is probably their favorite. It's just that people don't use it's people that use it for them, not. They use the anointed card. Like one, one of the most popular ones, said a few years ago, after scandal upon scandal was coming out, and then he was faced with his, obviously, the they would never allow themselves to be interviewed by someone external. They were, he was being with his people who, as the man was talking, he was just talking, saying some things, and some people were still speaking in tongues, doing like this. Like, what's wrong with you? And his answer said, let, me, let, him even, let him even address these accusations. Now, let me tell you something. Check the whole scripture. Where have you seen that there is a difference between a, a preacher and a man of God? That where have you seen that a man of God sinned? Where have you seen it? In other words, touch not my anointed. And then there's a third one, which is the persecuted card. They played the persecuted card because it's like, don't forget, it says that the world will persecute you. Do you see all that is happening? I know they have accused me. I know they have accused me, but don't worry. When the time comes, because these people are trying to accuse us, when the time comes, we'll give a robust response. In other words, I've hired a PR company to, to deal with this. And because we have itching ears, because we want them to make us feel good, eventually we just say, you know what? I don't know about any of those things. I don't want to hear it. I just leave them to God. And all the while, as you make excuses for them, or as you neglect, you just decide not to. I'm, not, I'm neither here, neither there. You're almost complicit in allowing this scandal to continue to plague the church and more people to be deceived. Sooner or later, the doctrinal test may fail, but the behavior test will not. 
Notice what Jesus calls them. Even though they were doing things in his name, he called them evil doers. Not just evil teachers or false prophets. He says they do what? Evil. They do not do the will of my father. They are evil doers. It brings me to the last point, though. Their destination. Now, when it comes to judgment, you have to understand something. Because this can be a bit confusing. Were those people healed? Were those people, you know, the people that they, uh, that they said that they, uh, they, uh, they, they performed miracles for? Did they receive the miracles? That it's implied here that they did. Did they drive out the demons? It's implied there that they did. But those prophecies, did those prophecies come to pass? It is implied there that they did. I would even argue that God did it because God honored his name that was there. But understand this. When it comes to the last final judgment, God is not looking at the recipients of his acts of grace through you. He's going to look at whether he knew you. He's not going to look at the recipients of the acts of grace, his acts of grace that come through you He's going to look at whether he knew you. Then I will tell them plainly, you did all of these things, but what? I never knew you. You see, the acts of evil wasn't per se the actual things that were done. It wasn't per se that the prophesying, the miracles, and the exorcisms itself were evil. Because they were done in the name of God. But they were evil because while doing it in his name, they were doing it for their name. While doing it in his name, they were doing it for their fame. Jesus describes this as he never knew them. Now you say, never knew. Is there somebody that Jesus doesn't know? I thought Jesus was God. But you see, this knowledge is an intimate knowledge, but more importantly, is a salvific knowledge. It's a saving knowledge. It's a special knowledge. So in the Old Testament, for instance, you see verses that point to God's special knowledge of Israel. So for instance, in Hosea chapter 13, verse 5, he says, It was I who knew you in the wilderness in the land of drought. Or in Amos chapter 3, verses 1 to 2, he says, Hear this word that the Lord has spoken to you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known, the NIV says chosen, of all the families of the earth. Is it that God did not know the Hittites? He did not know the Jebusites? He didn't know that they existed? No. He's saying that there is a special knowledge that he had for Israel that made him bring them or deliver them out of the land of Egypt because he had a special assignment for Israel. So he saved them because he knew them. In the New Testament, we find that in Romans 8, verse 29, when it talks about those whom he foreknew. What did he do? Those he foreknew, he predestined them to a final salvation. Those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And that's why he takes them through that path. If he foreknew them, he predestines them. If he predestines them, he calls them. If he calls them, he justifies them. If he justifies them, he will what? Glorify them. The glorification is conforming them fully into the image of his son. So the knowledge is not a knowledge like an empirical kind of knowledge. It is a saving, an electing knowledge. So when God says, 
you may have been doing this in my power, but that doesn't mean that you are saved. And that's why he ends with away from me. He said they cannot enter into his kingdom. These are chilling words, friends. In, this was probably the most difficult for me to study, honestly, because I kept thinking, I was like, my God. And I was thinking about myself, of course. Very chilling. He says there will be people that you know today that you think are great people, and God will say on that last day, depart from me. And Jesus is saying all of these things to say, watch out. Now, you may be saying, why is God so angry? Because, listen, I said it last week in the Q&A, that in hell, there are almost four, there are four different parts, if you can talk about parts. But that not everybody is punished in the same way in hell. And that the worst part of hell is reserved for false prophets. You don't believe me. Listen. 2 Peter 3 verse 17. These people are springs without water and mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. Jude 1, 12 to 13. These people are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest crown. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind. Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. This is serious stuff. And you say, why is God so angry? Why is he so angry with them? Well, let me tell you, for some of you that are children here, or let's even say you have a sibling, by and large, most times that I meet you, you will be a very nice person. By and large. But all of a sudden, see me taking one of your children and putting your children in harm's way. You'll be very nice to me. The reason why God has a problem, Jesus has a particular problem with these guys, is not just that they themselves are evildoers and they're going to hell. It's that they are bringing other people there. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert. And when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. And you think God will not be angry? God is angry because he doesn't want anyone to go to hell. And here there are people who have made it their life's ministry to drive people there. Because there is a truth here. They twist, they distort the truth, and then they drive other people there. And he is meant to be a just God and not be angry. You know what we need? What we need is prophets, teachers, apostles, and pastors not the ones that Jesus would say, I never knew you. But the ones who are known by God and know God, as we see in Galatians 4.9. And Jesus is saying, you need to discern these leaders who are fruit-bearing and good-doing. Now, please, for all I have said here, there are some people I cannot stand. And if you are one of those kind of people, please don't come and meet me after this service. There are people who are truth polices always trying to find out who is wrong on this thing and everything, and all, they make it their job to label every single person a false prophet. If you're that, you that kind of person, let me tell you this now. You should repent. Jesus did not call us to be truth polices. He did call us to be discerning. 
There is no person that I could find that is totally perfect. So we're not saying that you should look for perfection. You yourself are not. But at the same time, for those of us who like to say, well, you know, almost as though there is no false prophet around. It's you, really you that Jesus is teaching here. He's saying you need to be discerning. It's a call for us to discern and listen to this. Call for us to discern leaders, people who will lead you to Christ because they represent Christ, because they emulate Christ. They will lead you to Christ because they represent Christ, because they emulate Christ. Because when Jesus was on earth, as Peter tells us in Acts chapter 7, he says he was always doing good. And when he says he was doing it, he was also referring to Jesus doing miracles. Why is it that they were doing miracles and it was evil and Jesus is doing good while it was called good? As he was doing the miracles, it was called good because he said, because God was with him. We need leaders that God is with. And how we know them. Jesus said that my food, unlike these other people that don't do the will of the Father, he said my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. Where did he finish the work? He finished the work on the cross and his resurrection. But why did he do that? You see, sometimes we can think of the cross, yes, and this is perfectly true. There's one theory of the cross that says he died in your place. He bore your sins, and that is true. But there's another thing the cross that shows this, that on the cross as he died, he conquered Satan. He defeated. The prophecy that said that the seed of the woman will bruise the head of the serpent, that happened on the cross. And so what was happening there was that he experienced the same fate of false prophets so that the truth of his conquering work can be preached to the whole world to combat their falsehood. Jesus defeated Satan on the cross, but the aftermath of that is another war. It's a war of truth against falsehood. Satan has his own prophets. Jesus has his own prophets. This is why Paul can say the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What are these strongholds? It's not spirits, but listen to what they are. We demolish arguments and pretension and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. He went on the cross so that we can say, here is the truth. The truth is in a man who died in God's love for us. And that that truth, the gospel, converts us, it saves us, it transforms us, it shapes our worldview, and it preserves us unto the last day. And anything that then tries to deviate us from that, to say, well, you know, the gospel is good, we are saved, but you know, you can get heaven while you are here on earth. All of those things we see as falsehood, and we take, we contend for the faith, we take and bring down these strongholds, with the truth of Christ. And I will finish with this in Titus chapter 3. Because if you want to know the kind of leaders to follow, here's what Paul says. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. 
He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things. Paul is talking to Titus as a leader. You see what I've just said? I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted, not just those who give their life, but those, even those who have trusted God, may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. I've taken quite a lot of our time today, more time than I should have. Because Jesus sees this thing as very, 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 very serious. Paul has just shown us, if you're looking for a leader, if you're looking for leaders, let their message be so tethered to the true gospel. But secondly, let their lives show that the gospel that they preach is also transforming them. If you find any of those leaders, follow them. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us so much that sometimes you have to give us a harsh word. You love us so much that when there is danger, sometimes you don't just come and whisper to us. You shout, you yell, you tell us, watch out, as you are telling us now. And Lord, I just want to pray for anyone that is here that is trying to discern, trying to discern the right guides to life, trying to discern the right message to life. Father, let them be left with no doubt about what you want them to believe in the gospel of Christ. And if there's anyone struggling about somebody that may have touched them, but increasingly they see that this message does not accord to faith, Father, give them the courage to say enough and to follow, help them to identify leaders that will live lives in accordance with the gospel and will teach the truth of the gospel consistently, authoritatively, and in a transforming way. We ask that you open our eyes to Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church Love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.